Late Night Conversations, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. I'd like to welcome uh, a team guest, Elsa B. Sintler, who is an attorney at uh, Fermulian's Attorney. Thank you very much for joining us, Elsa B. How are you doing this evening? Hi, Patricia. I'm very well. Thank you for having me on your show tonight. I'm so excited to be speaking to you, although what we are speaking about is uh, usually something that people don't think about, right? Especially when you're about to tie the knot. Um, We are talking about that prenuptial contract. Is it necessary? When do you do it? Do you do it when you say I do? Do you talk about it when you say I do or a bit later? I'd like to welcome A-teamers to send us WhatsApps on 0614-104-107. Perhaps you're about to get married and uh, you don't know when exactly or how you're supposed to draft up this prenup contract. Well, send your WhatsApp there or you can call on 0891-104-207. Elsa when is the right time to draw up a prenup contract? In fact, let, no, step back. When is the right time to talk about drawing up a prenup contract? Patricia, the best time to start talking about drafting your antinatural contract is right at the beginning. The minute things start looking serious and whoever your potential somebody is starts saying the right things, you need to start bringing up this conversation and you know putting it on the table so that you both know which direction you're going to go. Because commonly, everybody just waits until, you know, the the uncles have met and things start rolling. And at that point, it may just be too late if you hold it off a little bit too long. So what we do advise is right at the beginning, when he says to you, I'm going to send a letter, you need to contact us so that we can get that ANC in place. Okay, now you know that other people will then get into a marriage based on uh, the the traditional processes. At which point then do we wait until we are about to have, you know, the big wedding ceremony? Or is it at the point where someone is actually coming to bring Amalobola um, or pay dowry for you that you start um, drawing up this prenuptial contract? Okay, so Patricia, what we have to do is now step back and look at the act. The act in place in this uh, in this regard is the Recognition of Customary Marriages Act 120 of 1998. In Section 3, the act um, provides that the requirements for customary marriage are that both parties must be over the age of 18, both must consent to be married under, married under customary law, and um, the marriage must be negotiated, entered into, or celebrated in accordance with customary law. So... The issue that seems to be um, coming up in our court is when exactly do all these three components, when are they actually considered to, you know, have been met? So essentially what you want to do is understand that the whole, from from a traditional point of view, the minute Amalobola starts um, being, you know, negotiated, the process has started, Right. So you, I think at the beginning of the process, it would still be sufficient time to contact your attorney and say, okay, I want to enter into an ANC. But the minute there's been the delivery of the dowry, then the marriage is actually considered to have been entered into. 
Okay, so it is very important to have this conversation right at the onset. Are you going to perhaps be popping the question anytime soon or sending diary or lobola to your um, would-be partner's family? Well, I think this is something you really need to listen up to. If you've got any questions or you want to relate your story to us as to how you got this conversation going with your partner, please do so by WhatsApping on uh, 0614104107 or SMS on 41391. I'm speaking to Elsebe uh, Sintler, who is an attorney at Fermulen Attorneys. Now, Elsebe, um, you know, you make it sound like once you know that you have paid dowry, because this is what the act says, you already should have had that antinatural contract in place. But when when families have to discuss this, or even lovers have to discuss how to draw up this antinatural contract, what are sort of the, what are some of the things that we need to consider in it? Is it the marriage regime first, or is it the possessions that we both come into the marriage with? So I think that the, the best way to look at it, um, Patricia, is to consider that everybody goes into a marriage in good faith, but somewhere along the line, things may fall apart and it may not be sunshine and roses anymore. Therefore, you need to consider that the position that you are in now, is it a position you'd want to maintain after your marriage or would you want to come out better off, if I may say? So if you're going to enter into your your marriage and you feel that, okay, this is going to be forever and you are so bold enough, I'm, I guess you could um, have your marriage according to um, the marital property regime of in community of property, which basically means that everything that you both have will be equally shared in the instance that the marriage falls apart. But then if you if you are wiser, you would rather suggest that you enter into an antinuptial agreement in um, that includes the accrual. So an accrual system basically provides for sort of a in community of property sort of on basis, but everything that you accrue after the marriage will be shared but not your liabilities. So this is obviously a safer property marriage um property regime to follow. Whereas a marriage out of community of property excluding the accrual basically means what's yours is yours and what's mine is mine. Let's take a bit of a break, Elsebe, and we'll come back to just uh, go deeper into the understanding of which regime would work better and how to draw up the uh, antinatural contract for that particular one. This is SAFM, 21 minutes after 10, leading the late night conversations. Tweet at SAFM Radio and at Patricia N. Dooley. I agree with our guest. I think it's best to talk about it at the, at the start because we're both entering with all our assets in the marriage. So prenup is a good start. So talking about prenup is a good start before saying the I do's. I actually, I actually agree with our guest. Well, uh, Elsabi, there you go. Our our A-teamers are agreeing with you that the prenup should be done on the onset. And you were still explaining to us before we took a break that um, these marriage regimes do differ. But I want you to please go a bit deeper. So if a person's going to be getting married in community of property, 
could they still be able to draft some sort of agreement as to how assets will be shared or there is no room for that? So Patricia, the moment you commit to a marriage in community of property, the bottom line is that everything is going to be shared down the middle in the event of a divorce. Alternatively, if you're looking at, you know, what you are going to um, bestow to your children or any of your beneficiaries in the event of your untimely death, then there is obviously your will that will come in, which will basically stipulate how the estate will um, be, be broken down and divided accordingly. But in the event of a divorce, everything basically just gets split down the middle in terms of the Matrimonial Property Act. And now let's uh, continue. How do you then draft up an, uh, a prenup contract, especially for those who are saying, we are about to get uh, into the Lobola negotiations or we are already done with the Lobola negotiations and we are getting married in a year or a couple of months' time? Okay, so um, if you are not married yet and you're only about to get into, you know, start the Lobola negotiations and all of that, Patricia, the first thing you want to do is basically have the conversation with your partner and then attend to your um, legal representative of choice. Over there, you're going to first, you would have already decided whether you're going to have um, an antinatural contract which includes the accrual system or which excludes it. In the event that you're excluding it, then basically it means what's mine is mine, what's yours is yours, and that's what it's going to be now, during the marriage, and after the marriage, right? But if you choose a marriage, um, including the accrual system, then basically what you would do is say, okay, for instance, I have a house now and you have three cars. Do you want that to um, be included or excluded? So everything that basically I have now, I can cite in the, in the contract and say, this is what my estate is worth now and that is what his estate is worth um, before the marriage. Then everything that I had before the marriage stays mine, and what he had before the marriage stays his. Everything that um, we acquire during the subsistence of the marriage, if I should have a lower accrual than what my partner has at the date of divorce or while we um, apply for a divorce, then obviously then I will have a claim which is equal to half of whatever his accrual is, okay? Mm -hmm. So that basically gives you room to almost, it's almost like in community of property, but without the baggage of the liabilities, essentially. In the second second scenario, where um, basically now you already married, like your Lobola negotiations are done, you did everything, the gifts have been exchanged, um, the bride has been delivered to the, the um, paternal family and everything, then you are essentially married in community of property, okay? So in that instance, if you now um, realize that, okay, I was not aware of the position before the fact, and I would rather actually have us enter into an antinatural contract, then you'd have to now approach the high court for... Um, a postnuptial agreement, essentially. So what is different about a postnuptial agreement is it's far more expensive than your antinuptial contract, which you basically go to an attorney and tell them what you want, and they draft an agreement, it's signed, it's registered, and it's done. 
Now, with a post-nuptial agreement, Patricia, you're basically approaching the court and you're saying, okay, we are married in community of property. We would like to change our uh, marital routine system to maybe out of community of property with um, the accrual system. Section 21 provides that if you are going to lodge that application, you need to provide sound reasons for this change. You also need to prove that any creditors to the estate are not going to be um, prejudiced, as well as any other person will not be prejudiced by the change. So, for instance, if um, you basically were married in community of property and you have uh, a mortgage bond, obviously if you now just change that, whichever, um, whichever financial institution actually holds your bond will be prejudiced by this. So that would have to be sorted out beforehand. So there's a lot of uh, I's to dot and T's to cross if you are doing it post the marriage regime. We are talking to Elsa B. Sintle, who is a practicing attorney and trained family law mediator, and uh, she's uh, practicing at Vermeulen Attorneys. We are talking about marriage regimes. Remember, A-teamers, you are more than welcome to WhatsApp and ask your questions on 0614-104-107 or call on 0891-104-207. The alternative number is 011-714-4045. On the line, I've got A-teamer Aisha from Uppington. Aisha, how are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Good evening to you and your guests and the listeners. I just have one question for your guest. Go ahead. Um, as far as my understanding goes, if you're married in community of property, um, you are liable for your partner's debts. Now, do they cover that in the anti-nuptial contract or... How does that debt business work if you get married to somebody who's got lots of debt? All right, Aisha, thank you very much for the question. Let's uh, allow Elsa B to respond. Okay, so with a marriage in community of property, as I said, you basically all have this pizza in front of you and at the time of divorce, you split it down the middle and that means your assets and your liabilities are equally shared. So if he has a debt of 10 rand and you have a debt of 50,000 rand, that is equally shared irrespective of whose debt it actually is, unless there's actually an agreement for each um, party to actually pay their own debt. In the instance that you enter into an anti-nuptial contract, you basically, in, the, um, in an anti-nuptial contract, including the accrual system, each party is responsible for their own debts, right? So that now means that whatever I accumulate in assets and whatever um, debts I accumulate over time, the debts are mine, but our net assets are ours, Mm. as opposed to excluding the accrual system. What's mine is mine. That means assets and liabilities, and what's yours is yours assets and liabilities. There's no sharing of anything. And I think that's why you kept on saying that, uh, you know, with getting married in community of property, you are in community of property, you're actually getting liabilities as well. Sometimes people get into these marriages without actually understanding their partner's uh, financial status and understanding what debt their partner has and in turn end up in a pile of, uh, you know, mud. 
<laughs> when they find out that they've also incurred this particular debt. Now, Elsa B. Precisely. Yeah. Let, let, let's talk about tracking it back. Say now a couple is now done with their antenuptial uh, contract or agreement. And this was done prior to them actually signing their marriage, but after, um, before their um, customary marriage. So they've paid the dowry or the lobola. But this couple ends up saying, we no longer want to be together before signing on the dotted line. What then happens with the prenup that was signed prior to them having the dowry paid? So, Patricia, if, if they do not, um, remember, after you sign your antinatural contract, it's there, but it's going to be registered. So only once it's registered is it actually enforced or um how can I say it's basically a legal document or a legal instrument. So should the parties decide that, okay, we're going to either draft this now because the negotiations are about to commence, we want it there, but we'll tell you when to register it. That is one way to go about it. It is not ideal, but it is something to look at. Mm-hmm. However, if you do now sign it and you allow it to be registered, then there it is, it's registered. However, if you do not actually get married, then you need to um, give notification to um, the Registrar of Deeds because this document is now lying with um, the Deeds Registry that, okay, here's an antinatural contract which will regulate this marriage. But if the marriage is never entered into, then obviously this contract doesn't have anything to regulate, if you understand me. Okay, so if it's registered, then it can regulate, but if it's not registered, so what's the process to getting this particular contract registered um, and, and what's the process and costing around it? So, um, Patricia, after, after you sign your antinatural contract, um, your attorney will basically be the one responsible for um, getting it notoriously um, signed and then sent to... Um, the deeds registry. There's uh, the document is basically registered and you get sort of a certificate back which now tells you that, okay, this um, ANC is registered and there's a registration number and everything that goes with it. Mm. Right? Um, once once that, that is not really a long process and the costs are relative um, between provinces as far as I'm aware. So, it's not really an expensive process. However, what I have noticed in, pra- in practice is that your attorney would usually give you an all-inclusive fee, which would include the drafting of the um, contract as well as registering it. So this is usually a cost of between 1,500 Rand and 3,000 Rand, which as opposed to a postnuptial contract is relatively cheap as a postnuptial agreement. You could be looking at anything close to 10,000 Rand. Sure. So, yeah, better beware and do the right thing in the up front and speak to your partner. Um, Elsa B, just as we close off, could you give us just a couple of tips as to um, what couples should discuss as they um, enter into this honeymoon phase of we want to say I do's? So first things first, Patricia, I'd say have this conversation. Have the conversation. The minute you are sure that you want an antinatural contract, you need to first discuss whether it's going to include the accrual system or not. If you're going to include the accrual system, you need to look at what assets you currently have. So what is the value of your estate? 
And if you feel that what you have prior to this, um, there are certain things that you actually want to include into the marriage, then you, you need to discuss this, obviously. But if you are going to exclude it, remember it must be specifically um, stated in the ANC that, okay, this, this house that I have in Santon is not part of the cake. So if we get divorced, this is not part of it. However, um, the China set that we got from my mother-in-law, maybe that will be part of it. You know, mm, mm. the next thing you want to do is basically make sure that your your contract is going to still be what you want in place during the subsistence of your marriage. So we do realize that some people tend to be a bit too pedantic about these contracts and they literally want to, you know, dot all their I's and cross all their T's to such an extent that the contract becomes so um, excessive that you really don't know whether you are coming or going. So essentially, it needs to be simple enough to regulate your marriage, but solid enough to make sure that, you know, it's watertight. So you don't want to put in too much but obviously, if there are certain things that need to be excluded in the case of an accrual, then that must be specifically specified. Thank you so very much, Elsabi. I think this has been really informative to those who are about to um, walk on that aisle, walk down the aisle and also sign uh, those I do's. And we wish them all the best of luck, but do the right thing and get yourself out of trouble because it can get sticky uh, once this I do's uh, no longer stand firm, right? <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> Thank you, Elsa B. Do you have a website where we can get hold of you at Fermulin Attorneys? Yes, definitely. Um, you can go visit our website, which is Fermulin Law. Well, Fermulin Attorneys, um, you'll see our website there. And if you want to contact us, there's a tab that you can click to contact us. There's also a tab for um, articles of these natures that all of the attorneys in our firm write. These will entail, entail your, um, your labor law matters, your family law, your commercial law, and debt management and collection and so on. So please visit the website if you need any information, or you can send an email to info at fermierlandlaw.co.za. Thank you very much, Elsabi. Have a great evening. This is SAFM so Late Night Conversations.